Welcome back to a gathering place of all nations. This Sunday morning, Pastor John Irving shared a message about how to understand and receive God's peace in spite of the storm. This was such a powerful message, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Let's check in. Praise God. Well, this morning, I want to talk about peace, God's peace. You know, there's a number of attributes that God has, love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, but peace is something that is sorely missing in our world right now. And man is doing everything he can in his own strength and his own ability to manufacture peace. But it's not going to happen through man's plans, strategies, counsels, uh, gatherings. Uh, It can only be found in Christ. And that's the story of Christmas. And we're going to look and we're going to read this morning uh, the account of Christmas found in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew 24 states that the end days, in the end days, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. And we're hearing that Russia, Ukraine, rumors of China, Taiwan, and others. Yet at this Christmas season, it's all about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Let me start before we read Scripture with a a story that I have always appreciated, and I'm sure almost everyone here has heard this story, so this is just a recollection. It's about uh, Christmas Eve during World War I, all right? And um, the battlefront in Flanders uh, field, the Germans were fighting against the French and the Brits, the Allies, and there were miles and miles of trenches. It was trench warfare. It was a real ugly type of fighting. Uh, And then in between was a place called no man's land. You don't dare get up in there, you get shot. All right, 100, 200 yards wide, And it was a battle that was going on for a long time. Well, on that evening of December 24th, something amazing happened. The soldiers, the German soldiers, all right, uh, put up above Christmas trees, right above the trench. And then they began to light candles. And then they began to sing Silent Night. In German, I'm not even going to try. I know speak the Deutsch. I don't, even, I don't even know if that's correct. Anyway. <laughs> Victoria knows. All right. And it wafted over to the Allies, the British and the French. And they began to sing as well. And then they began singing... Oh, come all ye faithful. And something in the midst of that war broke. 
the Spirit of God fell in those trenches. And then one by one, they became, they got out of the trenches and began to walk both sides into no man's land. Credible story. True story. And then they greeted one another, hugged one another. They began to exchange gifts of tobacco, cake, chocolate, etc. The next day, Christmas Day, they had a, they had a Christmas uh, uh, dinner together. They found a soccer ball and they played a little game of soccer. Isn't that, you know, speaking of World Cup and everything, a few upsets in the World Cup. Uh, like Brazil is no longer there. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we won't go down that road. At least Canada made it in the first round. So they played the, a game of soccer, and the score turned out to be Germans three and the Allies two. <laughs> that was uh, the game result. And so they continued um, in this for a day, some say up to a week, before the war resumed, began shooting at one another again. For a brief period of time, the Prince of Peace brought peace in a war situation. That's the power of Christ. That's the power of his name. That's the power of God that can bring that kind of peace. We're going to speak on peace, but we're going to read from the scriptures, the account. I'm going to take a little bit of time to unpack this story, a very familiar story. And um, I'm going to read it from a different translation, so uh, you may not be overly familiar. It, it'll, it'll say it a little bit different. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. So if you're putting up the words, we're going to be in the Passion Translation, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read from 1 to 20 with a few comments. And then I want to talk at the end about peace and God's peace and what we desperately need. So starting at verse 1, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ and we're going to talk about the shepherds and just realize how incredible this story really is. During those days the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Now, there were other censuses taken, but they were certain local provinces, but this was the first time one was taken of the entire Roman Empire. And so, um, everyone, verse uh, 3, had to travel to the hometown of their family to complete the mandatory census. And I'm going to read a few footnotes in my, my Bible from time to time and a couple other comments. Um, it's ironic, the footnote says, that the Roman emperors viewed themselves as gods, while a little baby born in a feeding trough was a true God incarnate. So the one that considered him God called for a census which brought Jesus, his family lived in Nazareth, 
Nazareth means branch. Goes back to Isaiah 11.1, 1, the, the branch. Jesus was called the branch. And he came down, they came down to Bethlehem, which was where, uh, which is called the city of David. It's going to mention that here. And this was where David was born. And we're going to talk a little, in a little bit about the, uh, the shepherds. Well, many scholars believe that the very fields where the shepherds were was where David watched his flocks. Think about that. We'll say more, a little bit more, unpack that a little bit more. What I'm trying to do, what I really like to do is paint a picture. I love it. When I read scripture, I try to paint a picture and put myself in there, try to understand the culture, try to understand the imagery. And so what I'm really going to ask you to come in this story with us, and not just hear, but vividly enter in to this story, afresh and anew, and the Passion Translation will help us. Everyone had to travel to their hometown of their family to complete the mandatory census. This was where Joseph and Mary were uh, ancestors of King David. And so they had to travel to Bethlehem to register. Uh, so Joseph and his wife Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown and Judea to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and near uh, ready to give birth. Now, husbands, can you imagine your wife? Some of you had to rush your wife to the hospital at one time because she was giving birth. Can you imagine having to travel? It's approximately 65 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. All right? And Mary walked some of that way, and I believe she probably rode a donkey some of those that way. She didn't drive in a nice luxury car. That's 65 miles. It was a rough go. In some ways, it's amazing she didn't give birth on the way. But uh, God managed to get Jesus birth to be in Bethlehem because in Micah 5.2, it says that's where he would be born. Isn't that incredible? So that prophecy would, he allowed a secular king to call a census. All right? Uh, when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor, and there she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped the newborn baby in strips of cloth, and Mary and Joseph laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no space available in the inn. In the in space in the upper room in the village. I was just going by by memory. All right. Now let me unpack this. this is a Greek word I'm not even going to try to say. It starts with K. It ends in in A, and it goes up and down several times, all right? This is not an inn, but simply the upstairs level of a home where guests would stay. It means that there was no guest room available in Bethlehem, 
Why? Because the place, this, this place they figure was probably about 600 people, the population of that town, but because of the census, it had swelled probably twofold. So all the relatives were full and there was no guest room available. It wasn't like an inn, like a hotel. Um, and so, uh, Mary and Joseph would likely have slept downstairs. Now, let me just paint the picture here for you. Um, during the day, it served as a workshop, an all-purpose room, but at night it was used to shelter frail animals while the rest of the flock was left outdoors. It was uh, not a full-fledged barn or stable, but it contained a drinking trough or manger carved in the rock. So the picture that we get, like a, a feeding trough like this, probably wasn't what Jesus was in as a manger. If you've been to Israel, you'll know that the rock is quite uh, able to chip away and to, to mold. It, it's not like the granite in northern Ontario. It is, you know, they, they make tombs and they make uh, sepulchers and they, they, they can cut out with a chisel and a hammer. And so the, the manger that Jesus was laid, listen to this, was likely a, a rock. It was in a cave, the, you know, just the downstairs of this, this house, backside of, of a cave, because their houses were usually built in front of caves. And the manger would have been something that was carved out. I'm going somewhere with this. All right? And he was laid uh, in that manger uh, where it was a feeding trough. The, our rock... Our Savior was born and placed in a manger on rock. Isn't that something? Probably. The rock was on the rock. Glory to God. Here, now we come to the angelic encounter. You got, you got to try to be a shepherd right now. Shepherd, shepherds were not really um, a high occupation uh, per se, all right? The elites of those days looked down on shepherds. The priests, the Sanhedrin, uh, people in Jerusalem, all right? It was necessary to have shepherds, uh, but they, it wasn't really an occupation that they looked up to. And so it is overly incredible that Jesus would be his annunciation. That's the theological word for announcing his birth, annunciation. That night, verse 8, in a field near Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus in John 6 says, I am the bread. I'm the living bread. He who eats of me uh, will never be hungry. It's like the manna that came from heaven, feeding on Jesus. That's where we get the idea of communion. 
And in a field near the house of bread, Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor. Just one angel. Later, there's more. Appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. Can you just imagine being in that field at night? And the shepherds, of course, were terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified? Every time in Scripture where there is a mention of an angelic encounter, the angel would say, do not be afraid. <laughs> All right? I, 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 you know, I cannot imagine if you have an angelic encounter. I, I have not had a, a visual encounter uh, with an angel. Victoria has. All right? Uh, but I have felt the presence of angels. I've heard them sing. All right? They are very much involved with us on earth. All right? Very much involved. And so, um, let, let me read a little bit more from the footnotes here. A baby laying in a feeding trough where animals were kept nearby, wrapped in strips of cloth. There's, a, there's just a paragraph here that is really, really important. I want to un unpack it a little bit more. Became a sign of, this, of the man, Savior's life on earth. He entered the world as a lowly baby. All, and though he is mighty God, he lived his life on earth in gentleness before all. The shepherds that night were possibly near Bethlehem at, this is what I want to get to. I, I've read this in a few different places, and I've read it over the years. I may even spoke about it a few years ago. Uh, but it, it, a place called Migdal Eder. What is Migdal Eder? Migdal means watchtower. They would build these watchtowers so they could watch over their flock. Uh, and so it, it, this means the watchtower of the flock. This would fulfill both prophecies of Micah 5, 2, and Micah 4, 8. Now, these prophecies are totally amazing, and we're going to turn there. Uh, I'll go back. I don't have, I only have the New Testament of the Passion, so if you want to look, I can read them, or you can turn there yourself. Micah. 4, verse 8, and then 5 and 2. 4, 8 is not one that we normally turn to, but listen to this one. It talks about the tower. As for you, tower of the flock, the Migdal. Hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. And then in 5.2, talks about this tower. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And so there we have the Tower of the Flock prophesied in Micah and 
the birthplace, Bethlehem. And as I said before, this is quite likely, and it would be just like God, that the shepherds are in the same fields that David. Years, a thousand years earlier. Let me carry on in the footnotes here for just another minute. It says, um, which is to say to you, he will come, your dominion, kingdom from old will arrive. It, now, this, this is, gets very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. It was in the lower floor of the watchtower, the Migda El Eder, that the birthing of Passover lambs would take place. This is the very field that the Passover lambs were watched over and they became lambs uh, at Passover without spot, without blemish. And these uh, female lambs would give birth, and when they were about to give birth, they would take it into this tower of the flock, this main area, where they would, it would be born, and then this young lamb would be placed in the trough and examined for blemishes. Are, are you getting a picture here? Are, are you seeing something here? All right. And so the very... Passover lamb, Jesus, in all likelihood, was born and placed in a manger, and then the announcement of him being born, they went to this place, and the shepherds were the first ones called to examine this Passover lamb. Now, isn't that something? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Thank God for footnotes. All right, and Google. Glory to God. Let me just finish up here. Um, after the birth of the lambs, the priestly shepherds would wrap the lambs in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves. For the Passover lambs must be unblemished with no bruise, no broken bone. The miracle sign for these priestly shepherds would be that a baby boy was, would be a baby boy lying where the Passover lamb should be in a manger, wrapped in strips of cloth. It was the cradle of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, from ancient times had arrived on earth. Wow. Wow. Just is incredible. One more thing, not in my footnotes, but is fairly common knowledge, was the priestly garments were often cut into strips, and they were used, all right, to protect these Passover lambs. And so when Jesus was born in this place. God orchestrated him to come from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He orchestrated that there was no guest room available so that he would be born in the place that he wanted him to be born. Not only that, but the priestly garments, the strips, would be wrapped around him when he was born, swaddling clothes. Wow. 
Let's, let's carry on here. Then all at once, back to verse 13 of chapter 2. Then all at once in the night sky, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heavens, and they all praised God singing. All right, there was one, one angel that gave the announcement, and then the sky filled up. Now, we, we think uh, there could be 100 angels or maybe 500. A number of scholars said there were millions of angels in the sky. It probably lit up uh, that it was like noonday. These angels appeared, the brightness, the glory of God was so bright in this night sky. And they, they said, glory to God in the highest Highest realms of heavens. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so used to saying it the other way. I'm just, glory to God in the highest realms of heaven. For there is peace and good hope given to the sons of man. Peace and hope. Jesus, our Savior. Now, I'm going to come back to that verse in a few minutes, and we're going to unpack that, and then we're going to wrap up the service and so we can have some great food. Oh, I got lots of time here. Glory to God. Donna, this is, this is wonderful. When you look at your watch and you got, you got 35 minutes rather than 10 minutes. All right. Um, let's carry on this story here. and We'll come back to verse 14 in a few minutes. When the choir of angels disappeared and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's hurry and find this word. Isn't that something? A little different than, than the, the King James. Find this word. Who was born in Bethlehem. And see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. Now, l l let me just go back to the, my teaching on the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle has the outer court. It has the inner court. And it has the most inner court, or what we call the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the ark. And on top of the ark is the mercy seat. And that's where the high priest would come in once a year. And that's where the curtain was torn and we have access into the Holy of Holies. But as many of you are aware, that the first... Um, tabernacle, all right, was taken and destroyed and, 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 and whatnot. And David, then, and, and then for about 80 years, the tabernacle didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. Then David came along and brought the Ark into Jerusalem. And you, you all know the story. I'm not going to go into that much detail, but the Ark is, represents the presence of God. And when... David uh, uh, commissioned his son Solomon to build the tabernacle, or the temple, I should say. Um, the ark was brought for the first time in, 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 in probably 100 years back together into that, the temple. But then, fast forward, when the Babylonians came and they destroyed uh, the temple... The ark was uh, lost, taken, 
there's all kinds of theories about where they are in Ethiopia, underneath. It's, nobody knows, or at least we don't know with confidence if they know where the real Ark of the Covenant is. And so the second temple, I'm going somewhere with this. All right, the second temple, all right, when they came out of the land of Babylon, never had an Ark. They didn't have the Ark. It, it was a form of religion, but it lacked the presence of God. It was a form of, 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 of it, going through the motions, but they didn't have the presence of God. Then we go through intertestamental period of time, 400 years. Are, are you with me here? All right, this is really, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm, I, I'm almost there. For 400 years plus, there was no real ark. There was no presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Then we come to the New Testament. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And these shepherds are the first ones to hear that the presence of God has come back to Israel for the first time in over 400 years. Every time I think about that, that absolutely blows me away, that these shepherds, Jesus was born in a manger, humble beginning. He could have been born in a palace. And who's the first one to greet him? All right, shepherds. Not the king, not Pharaoh, not Herod. If it was Herod, he'd want to kill him. All right, it was shepherds. Not just any shepherds, but shepherds that were watching over the flock for the Passover lambs. Wow. Can you imagine and that, that the glory just coming in here? And so they hurried off, verse 16, and found their way to Mary and Joseph. If it really was this Magda Edda, this, this tower of the flock, they would know exactly where to look. They didn't have to guess. They didn't have to figure it out. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened. They started talking to one another. Wouldn't you, whenever you see a miracle, don't you want to talk about it? A healing miracle, salvation miracle, a financial miracle. When you see something supernatural that God breaks in, doesn't it cause you to look up? Doesn't it cause you to wonder? Doesn't it cause you to say, wow. And God is breaking into us here in new ways right now. In our world right now, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, but the king of glory is here. He lives here. He lives here in the church. He lives in your house. Come on. The king of glory, the presence of God is with us. When we become born again, he is with us. Seeing this miraculous sign that shepherds recounted what had just happened. Everyone, listen to this, they're, they're the first evangelists. They're going around telling everybody about what happened. When, when, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I want to tell everybody. My family, person on the street, I just wanted to go everywhere. 
because I knew something had happened. In, there was a change of nature that happened inside of me. The shepherd, everyone that heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But listen to Mary, verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. Last verse we're going to read in this story. The shepherds returned to their flock. Ecstatic. Ecstatic. I think they were doing cartwheels. I don't know. Every time I think of the presence of God, I think of cartwheels. I just think that's one of the highest expression of, of, of praise. I, I've never done a cartwheel in my life, but in here I've done thousands of them. <laughs> All right? And I love it when a child comes up to the altar and does a cartwheel. All right? Ecstatic over what had happened. They encountered the presence of God for the first time in 400 years. John puts it like this. The word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. Wow. Let's not lose the wonder of this story at Christmas with all the eating, all the gifts, all the busyness, all the shopping. The presence of God is totally incredible. I don't know about you, but I got all kinds of eating functions in the next two weeks. All right? It's glorious. Not the food, but the people that we're going to fellowship with. All right? They praised God and glorified him for all they had seen and heard for themselves, just like the angel said. Wow. So we want to talk about peace today. Luke's gospel is considered a go the gospel of peace. Matthew, there's four sacrifices, main fact, predominant sacrifices in the Old Testament. And each one of the gospels focuses directly or indirectly on one of them. Matthew, uh, the death of Christ, all right, it's a trespass offering. Mark, it's a sin offering. John is a burnt offering. But Luke's gospel, you have the peace offering. That's the emphasis. Folks, when I was in New York about a week and a half ago, and this week I've had three very, very, very disturbing dreams. I don't know about you, but when you dream... Uh, do you sometimes forget your dreams? <laughs> All right. I remember the dreams. I woke up. I began to pray. Uh, I told Victoria. She probably remembers them. She remembers my dreams better than I do. <laughs> and um, very, very, very troubling dreams about what's going on in the world right now. And, and I'm not going to get in. We talked about it last week. You all have an idea of the uh, the corruption, the deception, the... Uh, the, the, the stuff that's going on in our world is very, very uh, troubling, to say the least. And my, the last dream I had was Friday night, and for several days this week, I knew I was going to talk on, I felt I was supposed to talk on the shepherds, but I didn't know, Lord, 
what am I supposed to focus on? And then after the disturbing dream on Friday night, the Lord just shouted, peace, peace. Talk to my people about peace. All right? And so let's unpack this verse a little bit more. All right? Isn't it interesting? One of the first things Jesus says after his resurrection to his disciples is peace to you. All right? So let's read this verse here again. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. And it says here in the Passion Translation, Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of man. Now, in the NASB, it reads this. Luke chapter 2, verse 14 reads, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. In the King James, this is where we get our Christmas cards from. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, we think that God has come to bring peace to the world. And actually, he has not come to bring peace to the world. All right? He's come, as in the NASB, to bring peace among men whom he is well pleased. There's a big difference, huge difference. In fact, in the Old Testament, it says, peace, peace, where there is no peace. How many people know there's no peace in the world right now? It's getting worse. It's getting worse. All right? In, um, in Matthew chapter 10:34, Jesus says this, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace. Well, I thought that's what you're, you know, what, 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 that's what it says here in verse 14. That I've come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. But Isaiah says that he's the prince of peace. So what's going on here? What, what, this, this seems to be something of a, a disconnect, a, a, a little bit of an oxymoron here. Jesus' ultimate goal is not to bring peace to the earth, especially in these end times. It, it, he hasn't come to bring peace. Uh, he's not going to end the wars and conflict, at least the way that we want him to. In the same way, when he came in his first coming, they expected him to be a ruler, a fighter. There's one more thing about that tower of the flock. Was David was a warrior, a fighter. And so when Jesus was born in the city of David, they were expecting a warrior, a fighter, overthrow the Roman government. That wasn't his first coming. He came as a lamb. 
Second coming, he's coming like a lion. He's coming like a conqueror. He is coming like a war the second time. World leaders are trying to tell us that they have the answers for a utopia on earth. And we've seen the utopia of communism in China and in Russia and Cuba and many other places in the world where they have tried to bring in this um, wonderful idea, Marxism. It is a wonderful idea. But there's one thing that messes up this idea, and that's our human nature, our sinful nature. Our sinful nature can't be conquered by human reasoning. Human nature includes things like greed, anger, all right, hate, ambition, revenge, sexual deviances, and so on. I don't know about you, but the world is going crazy. This gender-affirming care, this uh, everything that you can think of, abortion uh, right up to the end. Um, I, I, I read a statistic that our youth right now, 40% of them are absolutely in really rough shape. This is from a, a mental um, a, a psychiatrist saying that 40% of teenagers today through this pandemic are suicidal. Wow. You see, we are in a battle. We're in a war. It's a war between light and darkness, love and hate, good and evil. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is described as a conquering king, but he's covered in blood. He's a warrior. Waging war with justice. How many people know that there's no justice? One side's getting criticized for every little supposed infraction, real or imagined. And the other side, there's gaping uh, indiscretions that are done, and there's no accountability on the other side. I think some of you know what I'm talking about. But listen to this in Revelation 19, quote, Coming out of his mouth is a sharp double-edged sword with which to strike down the nations. He isn't coming back to bring peace. He's coming back to conquer. And so what peace is Jesus, the Prince of Peace? It's not peace between people. That's not his ultimate goal. The peace that he's come to bring us is peace with us and him, which is the ultimate peace. And once we have peace with him, we can have peace with, with like other people. All right? And let me just read some scriptures here of some different uh, verses of peace. And John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Another version says tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Anything that's happening in the world right now, Jesus is above what is happening. He's above. Well, why do the, the Psalms 2 says, why do the nations rage? All right? And then it says, why they, they gather together and they counsel a plan to get, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, they, to get rid of God. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. God is not affected except maybe he's got some sorrow, all right? He's not, he, he's not up in heaven. It's just like when the Tower of Babel came. He says, oh, no, what are we going to do? They, they're all one, they're building this tower, or, 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 or they've got this plan, this pandemic. They've got this, this strategy to take over and hurt mankind. What are we going to do? You know, last week we talked about the book um, that was written in the 80s called um, When Bad things happen to good people. Well, one of the premises is we're not good people. Let's, let's just start right there. And the other premise in that book is that God is not all-powerful. And therefore, he's a loving God, but he's not all-powerful to stop the hurt and pain, which is totally false, totally wrong. He is omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. All right? All uh, right. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He's talking to his disciples the night before he was crucified. I do not give you as the world gives. Someone say praise God. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. All right? 2 Thessalonians 3. This is talking about end times. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way in these end times. Lord give you peace. The Lord be with you all. Isaiah 26.3, some of you could quote this one. You will keep in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Doesn't matter what's going on around you, whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Perfect peace. In a, a century or so ago, in the 1800s, there was a contest for a painter to paint a picture describing peace. Some of you may have heard this story before. It's well known. And so these wonderful pictures and paintings came in of sunsets and sunrises and mountains and trees and rivers and, and still water and all that kind of stuff. All of them were beautiful. But you want to know the picture that won the contest? Was a picture of a mama bird feeding the baby birds in a nest, in a tree. Take a step back, where's the tree? Is on a little island. Possibly the only tree on this little island. Take another step back, where's the tree? About 15 feet from the the Niagara Falls, the rushing river, <laughs> the rushing falls going down, and yet this mama and this baby all right, were not too concerned about this. They were safe and secure. And so God will keep us in perfect peace. It doesn't mean he won't keep us from the roar of the world and all the problems and all the situations going on. We can have peace. The other illustration I like to use, and I've said this before, is when I learned how to scuba dive. All right? We, we went up. Uh, Sujin, some of you know who Sujin is. She was like a daughter to us. Her and I were 
learning how to scuba dive. And so for our first day to go out of the pool into the actual water, we went up to Lake Simcoe and we walked down the dock and something inside of me saying something doesn't add up. I got these huge tanks on my back. I got 30, 40 pounds of lead weight around me and I'm supposed to jump in over my head. I've been around water all my life. All right, I love water, I love swimming, but something says that you go straight to the bottom, but they, you have this buoyancy vest. And so it's black, it's ugly, it, it, it's, it looks like it's gonna rain, it's windy, and we're supposed to jump in, the, the waves on uh, Lake Simcoe are about this high, and we're supposed to jump in. So Sujan and I, we both jump in, and, uh, and we're at the surface and we're being tossed back and forth, getting sick, and, and I'm saying, this isn't much fun. <laughs> this is not much fun. So I get out, I climb up the ladder, Sujin climbs up, and I'm like, this, I'm done. I'm done with this, you know? Have you ever felt like you're done with the Lord? Like, I, I didn't sign up for this. All right, there's a key. So my instructor came over and he says, John, John, when you get in the water, let the air out of your buoyancy uh, vest, there's a little button you can, you know, hit, and, uh, and let it, and then sink, get down to the bottom. Get out of the storm, get down deep. And then he says, you'll see a little string when you get down to the bottom by the, by the, the dock. Follow the string out, it'll take you out, and then it will go down, like 50 or 100 feet. And so Sujin and I went down, I found the string, I got, we got down, uh, we followed the string out, we went down to about 50 feet, Tim, and uh, the storm was not affecting us on the surface anymore. We got deep, and what we need to do in our relationship with God is not stay on the surface. The storm didn't disappear when we came back up, it was still there. But when we can get deep into Christ, he is the Prince of Peace. We go deep into him, and the things on the surface of our lives, it's not that they don't matter, they do. But if we go deep into him, he'll give us the steps of what to do, all right? You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And my, one of my favorite is Colossians 3.15. I, I, I live by this for the last 40 years as a Christian. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. If you have the peace of God, go ahead and do it. If you don't have the peace of God, stand back and wait till you have the peace of God before you take another step. Just a couple more here. Make every effort, Hebrews 12, 14, to live in peace with everyone, Christian and non-Christian, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one shall see God. At Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. James 3, 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Psalm 119, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Whatever's going on in the world, when you have Christ, the world can't make you stumble. Amen? How about just three more here? Philippians 4, 9, whatever you've 
whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, follow me. Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And the last one here, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So I'd like to wrap this up with a brochure on peace. When I first got saved, there was a booklet that we used to try to help bring people to the Lord. It was called The Four Spiritual Laws. Anybody remember that little yellow book? I write, well, Billy Graham put one out, pretty well the same thing, but he called his Peace with God. He even wrote a book about it. And what I want to do right now is just read through Billy Graham's message on how to have peace with God. Because I think we all want to have peace. And this is the way you can have it. Step one, there's four steps. All right, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to have some great food. Step one, God's purpose is peace and life. God wants you to have peace. He wants you to have life. God loves you and wants you to experience peace and eternal life. The Bible says, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. I think you all know that verse. John 10.10, I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. What keeps us, Billy Graham writes, from having this life that God planned for us? Step two, here's the problem. Our sin has separated us from God. It's kind of like God's on one side of the, this mighty big river, and you're on the other side, and there's a schism that is too big and too far for us to cross over. I used to like the illustration, and I used it many times, was that everybody in America, everybody in the world, stood on the coastline of California, and anyone that swam to Hawaii could get to heaven. Well, you're going to have some people in the wheelchair that are going to get two yards, and that's it. Then you're going to have the super athletes in the world might get two miles, maybe ten miles, but they're, they're going to fall short of Hawaii, and, and we all have fallen short, all right? And so none of us in our own strength can do it. That's the problem. God created us in his image. He gave us the will and the freedom of choice. We choose to disobey him and go our own way. And that's called sin. And this separates us from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it says in chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our choice to sin separates us from God. 
Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just think that you're in a, in a stadium with Billy Graham reading this right now. This is, this is his words. People have tried many ways to bridge this gap between themselves and God. However, the Bible says there is a way that appears to be right, but the end leads to death. Any way that we try to work it out is not going to work. But your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. There's no bridge that reaches to God except for one. Step three, God's bridge is the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and when he did, he paid the penalty for our sin and bridged the gap between us and God. That's what this peace is that we're talking about. Bible says there's only one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Another verse says, for Christ suffered once for sins and the righteousness for the unrighteous to bring you to God. God has provided the only way back to him. It's up to you. It's your choice. Step four, the last one, and I'm almost done. Someone say hallelujah. There we go. Good. Our response, receive Christ. We must trust and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Bible says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It also says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so Billy, in this tract, this little booklet, says this, which side are you on? Are you on the side with Christ or without Christ? Do you have peace with God or are you his enemy? We're in one camp or the other. There's no in-between ground. Here's what we can do, all right, to find peace with God. First is admit your need. Lord, I'm a sinner. Two, be willing to turn from your sins. It's called repentance. Three, believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. Faith. And then finally, through prayer, invite Christ in to control your life through the Holy Spirit. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. We're going to bow our heads right now. And I'm going to say a prayer that Billy Graham wrote. I may add to it a little bit here. And I'm going to ask everyone here to say this prayer. Say it out loud. Say it like you mean it. And if you don't know Jesus, this is a prayer for you to find peace with God. That's our desire here today before we have this wonderful food, is that each person here would have peace, deep peace on the inside. Maybe you're here and you've been far away from God. Maybe you haven't been in church for a while. Maybe this is a prayer that you can pray to come back to him. And maybe you know Christ, but this is a prayer that you can go deeper in your walk with him. All right? And so let's
pray this prayer. Dear God, oh, you can do better than that. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin. And that you raised him to life. Today, I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. From this day forward, I ask your forgiveness. Cleanse me. Wash me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, or maybe you are renewing your, please come and talk to me. I'm going to be up here afterwards. Mary and Margaret are going to come up here for a few minutes, possibly Tom and Monica. Maybe, uh, you know, a couple of us are going to stay up here, and we're going to pray for some people. All right, if you want to come, come up. If you said that prayer, come up here and make, you know, there's something about publicly confessing your acceptance of Jesus. If you're sick or you, you, you don't have peace in your heart, feel free to come forward. The rest of you, we're going to pray, and you go and have something to eat, and uh, we'll join you as soon as we finish praying for people, all right? This Christmas, I, I pray for you. I'm going to say a prayer, but I pray that you'll talk to God. In the midst of busyness, for about 20 years, I'd go home for Christmas uh, to my hometown in Cape Pearl, north of Sudbury, and it, there was always snow on the ground, Tom. I, I don't think I ever remember a uh, winter up north that they didn't have snow. And after everybody went to bed and every, you know, when it all quieted down at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, Donna, I would put my winter boots on, and I would put my hat, and I would walk throughout the town all the way down to the railway tracks downtown, all the way around some of the neighborhoods. And I'd see all the Christmas lights. I'd hear the crunch. It was so quiet. I'd hear the crunch of snow under my... And I was praying for my town and my family. All right? And I was in wonder at what God had did in my life. I was so happy. I was so blessed. Can we just remember? How blessed are we to know Jesus? How blessed are we? So as a benediction, I'm going to end with the word peace in this prayer in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I pray that you are encouraged by this message and that you feel God's love and embrace throughout this week. Don't forget to join us later this week when Donna Parishin shares a message about dealing with the orphan heart mentality. Hope to see you then.